In church, so we're going to be in Matthew 25 uh, for most of our time together. So if you want to take your Bibles and go ahead and locate that Matthew 25, starting with verse 14, we uh, we've been going through just our reconnection. Uh, series and a little mini series and in, in, in involved with that is just I don't know just exploring some benefits of being a part of the church uh, and there are so many uh, benefits but we we've handled already you know the church is a place to belong uh, and it is it's it's a great place to belong to expand uh, you know uh, family in your life. Uh, last week we talked about church as a place to experience fellowship, you know, just to have some super strong connections and being able to, you know, uh, not only receive blessings, but to be a blessing uh, for other people. And this week we're going to talk about church as a place to invest. Now, if, if I were to have deposited $100,000 in your account, okay, so you have $100,000 to just burn however you want to do that. I wonder how, I mean, I wonder what you would do with it. Like, and I wonder, like, whatever you decide to do with it, if we all then shared what we decide to do with it, how many different options we would come up with on how to spend $100,000 that's been given to us. That'd be kind of fun, though, wouldn't it? And it'd be my guess that most of us have, at some point in time in our life, just kind of daydreamed about that. Like, if I come across, you know, came to a whole bunch of money, whether inheritance or what, what would I do with it? You know, how would I spend it? I I think some of us would probably have something to do with, like, I would just put it in a savings account. It's going to be my emergency fund from here on out, right? Some of us would be like, it's going straight to the stock market I'm investing. Some would be like, no, it's going to bonds because they're so much safer. Well, not right now they're not, but... uh, and, and some of us would just be like, I'm just giving it. I don't even want to be responsible for that. That's too much management on my part. Never manage that kind of stuff. I'm just going to give it away. Uh, but I bet there would be a lot of different ways that we would come up with on what we would do with that. It, interestingly, in, in 1990, the, the USA Today asked this question to like six uh, and investors, uh, counselors, advisors, kind of people, this very question, what would you do with it? And so here's some of the answers that they had. One man said uh, that he would divide the money between telephone stocks, blue chip stocks, and zero coupon bonds. Another advised putting 50000 in stocks, 40000 in bonds, and 10000 in cash. And the other expert said, I would just throw the whole wad into high-quality growth stocks. That's what he would do. Uh, Wayne Rogers, who was the actor who played Trapper John on MASH, he says, uh, he went to the full other extreme, and he says a whole 100000 is going into money market in the safest bank that you can find. <laughs> and this was like during a recession uh, in 1990, right? Um, uh, Andrew Lanny uh, would spend the money among 10 over-the-counter stocks. Uh, Linda Clemente, the, the only woman who in the survey, she called for 
an even four-way split among U.S. stocks, foreign stocks, global bonds, and foreign currency. Now, I was just interested in that because I was just thinking, okay, that was 31 years ago. That's a whole lot of different ways to, to, to invest like $100,000. I wonder who won. Like whose advice was the best advice, right? And, and without question, I think that the, the guy who said just throw the whole wad into high growth, uh, um, I mean, high quality growth stocks would have won. It would have been like Apple. Just 20 some years ago, if you would have put, it, put money in Apple, because they changed their, their thing uh, pricing, but it would have been like a dollar just 21 years ago, and now, you know, it's like $120 a stock. So just think how much that would have went up, like 11,000%, you know, uh, in such a, a time like that. So, so he would have definitely been the winner, but who would have known? right? I mean, nobody knows this stuff. If they knew this stuff, then they, it would just be so simple. Everybody would just do the same thing, right? But there's so much uncertainty when it comes to investing. Nobody really knows. Everybody's just pretty much, you know, have it educated, but it's definitely guessing. And there's definitely uncertainty of, about that kind of thing. All of their advice was just speculation, is what it was. But somebody was going to come out on top. You know, Jesus is like an, an investment advisor. And you know what he says? He says, don't invest in this world. <laughs> it's not worth investing in. Invest in my kingdom. Invest in heaven, which is to come. That's what he's saying. He's like that guy, you know, that, that advisor that's always telling you, just leave it in there. Just forget that you even have it, Right? Uh, kind of thing. And what Jesus is saying, just wait. Just be patient and wait, but it will pay off if you invest in my kingdom, if you invest in what is to come and not what is. But that's always tough to do, isn't it? That's always tough to do. I wonder how many people, if they had $100,000, would, the, the, like the number one thing would be just to go blow it. I'd be my guess that that's the majority of what we would do with it, Right? We would just go buy a house, we would go buy a car, we would just, we would, we would do, it would be gone in a heartbeat, uh, just because there's so many things that we could, could have now, instead of waiting, you know, for, you know, Apple stock to maybe go up, you know, um, and just being patient is tough. And so when Jesus tells us to don't invest in this world, but invest in his kingdom, we know that there's a whole lot of waiting involved. I'm a young guy. I'm not young. I'm talking about some of y'all out there. Um, and and it's just, there's just so many other opportunities, you know, that are just like right now and, and not having to wait on it. Yeah, they might not be quite as good, but man, I, I don't know. Invest in what Jesus is saying invest in is like, that's a long time. And how do I know even how that's going to pan out? You know, there's three things that you can do with your life. You can waste it, you can spend it, or you can invest it. And that's what Jesus is talking to us today about. Is he's, he's trying to encourage us to invest it. There's a whole lot of ways you can waste your life. We could come up with just a bunch of them, right? 
some from experience and some from just watching other people not do a very good job with using their life. And there's a whole lot of ways that we can spend our life. We can spend it on, you know, possessions. We can spend it on uh, our job. We can spend it on uh, hobbies, whatever it would be. I remember there was a time back that one of the the most common bumper stickers that I would see, it would be on the back of a, a pretty high-end vehicle, and it always says, whoever has the most toys wins. Yeah. You don't see that very much anymore. Do you, do you see that very much anymore? And I think it's after a few funerals, they realize, you know, like, ah, I don't know if that's really true, right? <laughs> because when you come in this world with nothing, you exit this world with nothing. It, it, it's not, that's not accurate to say that it's what the most toys wins. This is what Jesus has said to us, because Jesus has taught us that the greatest use of our lives is to invest in God's kingdom and what he has in store, like what, what this, all this is heading to, what, what his plan was from the very beginning. This is some of the things he said, like in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. In other words, they just aren't going to last. If you, if you do that, it's just something that's going to be temporary. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where, where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. It is, it is going to be something that is eternal. For where your treasure is, he says, there is your heart also. And then he goes on talking about the eye and, and, and just kind of carrying this, this theme along. But then he concludes this time with something that just seems like out of left field almost. Because this is how he concludes this little section. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And I say it's out of the left field because it just seems like I thought we were talking about our life here, and now all of a sudden we're talking about money in God. Which do you serve, by the way? God or money? And I'm pretty sure that you're in church, so you're going to say God, right? You better be saying God. But why did he switch it to that? Because I think Jesus... He, he seems to think that the, the best way to accurately measure how you invest your life is through how you prioritize your possessions. Like, like, like he believes that however you prioritize your possessions, that's really where your heart is. And maybe he says that for us because that wouldn't be that hard for us to, you know, if we wanted to, to really figure this out. Like, what am I investing my life in? What am I spending my life pursuing? Let's explore Jesus' analogy here. I want to do this a little exercise. And so I want you to pull out something that represents money to you. And that could be like a dollar bill, you know, five, I mean, some currency, that can mean like your checkbook. Does anybody carry checkbooks anymore? I don't even know. I haven't carried one for so long. Um, but Lori does. She has one in her purse. If I had a purse, maybe I'd still carry it. I don't know. But pull out something. A credit card, 
To be honest with you, I left my wallet at home, and, uh, which is weird because I had my money ready that I was going to pull out. But this kind of represents currency, too. I got a payment, you know, doing a, a photography thing for a wedding on Venmo. I didn't even, I mean, I'd heard of that term, but never used that or anything. And they paid me. They said, did you get your money? I was like, no. And they're like, well, I, we paid you on Venmo. I had to go download the app, and then I got paid. And I was just like, this is really weird. It just seems really strange to me that, that you can do that. But yeah, so there's even that. But just hold that for a moment. Now, you did do it, right? Okay. You don't have to give it away. Okay. But let's just explore this. We're going to read through Matthew 25, and then I'm just going to talk about it here for a moment. Matthew 25, verse 14. He's told a story called a parable of the talents. And he gives us some advice here. He says, For it will be, for what will be? For life will be, reality will be. The kingdom of heaven will be. It's all those kinds of things in one. He's talking about life and real life here. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in a hole, dug in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of the servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you a, a, over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward saying, Master, you deliver to me two talents. Here I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went to hide your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reaped where I did not sow, had not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to anyone who has who who will more be anyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast a worthless servant into the utter darkness, in that place where it will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The first thing I want you to 
notice in our scripture this morning is just how Jesus, like, he deals with ownership, okay? So I want you to look, hold, hold your checkbook, your, your currency, your credit card, whatever you have. Hold it there for a second. And I just want to ask you this. Who does that belong to? And again, you're in church, so it's, it's, it's like, well, if I was asked at a Walmart by a lady, I would be like, this is my wallet. This is my currency. This is, you know, my phone that's paying for this thing or whatever it would be, right? But in church, it's like the answer has to change. We know that you're up to something, Mike. So I'm going to go with it's Jesus's, right? And that is, that's exactly what he is saying here from the word of God, from Jesus's lips. He is trying to settle this manner for all of us. You know, he's trying to help them and help us understand that there is ownership of that, but it is, it is owned by God, by his Father. Everything I have belongs to God. That's why he says in verse 14, for it will be like, life will be like this. A man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. I mean, God made it all. There's not anything that is going to go with us. Just like I said, when you came into this world, you came in as a naked kid, right? There was nothing. Anything that was yours from that moment on was given to you through people, but in reality it was provided, if we went back to the complete source, it would be God that gave it to you. Because if you say, my parents, well, you just haven't gone back to the source far enough. Where did they get it? And where did they get it? And eventually you're going to get to where God created the heavens and the earth. And he made man. Man didn't make himself. He didn't make the animals. He didn't make the air. He didn't make, he did not make life. God made it. And every time another person is born, he is, he is giving and trusted like something for a time being. For some of us, we've been entrusted for like 50 years. Some of us, 60 years. Some of us, 90 years. We have the master hasn't come back. And he's entrusted that. But Jesus is trying to make it clear to all of us that there, he, there is ownership that is involved in what you have there. That you don't carry it to the next place. The second thing that I want you to see is that Jesus is the one who decides who gets what amount to invest. Or God, if you'd rather use that term. But God in, in Christ. They get to decide who gets what. There's, there's a term here, it's called talents. And, and it is where our word comes from, you know, just in talents as in our abilities, right? But, but where it originated, which is here, it, it was always a, a currency. It was a, an amount of money. Let's just say uh, one talent is $1,000, right? For one guy, he got five grand. For another guy, he got two grand. For another guy, he got one grand. How was that all distributed out? It was just God, the master, deciding who's going to be entrusted to what. It was based on ability. 
I don't know. All of us have talents. There's not a single person that has been born that can say, I had no talents. We don't all have the same amount of talents. I used to always say, I'm a one-talent person. But I realize now that I'm a multi-talented person. But I am not near, when I compare myself to some other preachers or some other, you know, husbands or, or fathers or whatever, I realize that uh, I'm not near as talented as some that I know. But I have talents. You have talents. Every one of us has been gifted with this. The, the moment we were born, we were given just a set of abilities. Now, these talents, they're, they're just they're, they're everything. I mean, it, it can be your money for sure. It can include your spiritual gifts. It, it can include your parenting. It can include your job. But everything that you are overseeing or a steward of, even your property and your house and things of this sort, these are your talents and these are the things that God has given you to manage. See, the, the, that's what Jesus is trying to do. He's taking this story and trying to get us to apply it to life. Notice that the amount differs to everyone. And he says this, he says in Romans 12, 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. We're unique. I'm me, you, you. We have different abilities. Now, what are we going to do with them? Our personality traits are a talent. Our temperament's a talent. Our abilities, our experiences. These are all things that we use, Right? as like currency from our life, so to speak. It's how we spend our lives. Here's the third thing that I want you to see, and that is Jesus has expectations based on the talents that he has given you as a unique individual. He gave them to you, but he didn't give them to you without any strings attached. There's definitely strings attached that's what we see here right when he comes back he was a, has expectations from these people and it's the same way with us verse 19 he says now after a long time the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them the master he made an investment in them i'm just going to entrust this to you this this 50 our $5,000, this $2,000, this $1,000, I'm going to trust it to you. And then he went away. But he came back. He had an audit, right? Let's sit down and talk about this. What did you do? What did you do with your life? What are you going to do when, he, when that audit comes? What's, what's your plan? Have you even thought about it? You know, that's why most people are not ready for retirement because they didn't think about it until it was too late to think about it, right? What about you? Have you thought about it? That audit day? What did you do when he asked you, what did you do with what I gave you? 
Did you choose where you were born? How many of you chose that? My dad was not even born in a hospital. Earlton, Kansas, in a little farmhouse there. Our parents chose that. God chose that. But our parent, but, but we had no, no, we did not have anything to do with that. Did you choose what country? We have an amazing country. We just celebrated this fact. Did you choose that you're an American? No, I don't think anybody here did. Did, did you choose what century you were born? I used to think, man, I would have loved to have been born in the early 1800s. So I just love Westerns. But my dad keeps reminding me that watching a Western and living a Western is two different things, right? But I didn't choose, you know, the century I was born. Did you choose the color that you were born with? No, you didn't choose that. There's so many things that you didn't choose. They were just chosen for you. And in reality, what Jesus is trying to help us understand is that God played that part. God is the one who granted certain things to you. And this is what you have to use. You have your color of your skin to use. You have where you lived to use. What parents... I mean, most of us, did we choose the religion that we were born into? No. I mean, we... We have what we have, and we are going to work with what we got to do. You, you will never be able to, you know, if, if you waste your life, it's going to do you no good to be like a lot of people who have wasted their life, and they want to try to blame it on somebody else, right? Well, it's crazy government people. They just don't even give me a chance. Have you seen the color of my skin? There's no way I can do this. I mean, it was not going to do you any good to complain to God who gave you what he gave you. You have what you have. It's not going to do you any good like, God, you gave me one leg instead of two. That's not going to do any good to complain that way. He's just going to want to know, what did you do with what I gave you? And we all were given different things. It's not going to do any good. Well, I was, I was born Muslim. What did you expect? That's not going to be a good enough excuse. You see what I'm saying? There's going to be accountability. The master is going to come back, and he's going to say, I created you. I gave you talents. What did you do with what I gave you? There's going to be this audit. The first man took his money, and he doubled it 100%. This man was a wise investor, wasn't he? The second guy, he took two grand and he doubled it. Wise investor. And then there's this guy, which is actually the focus of the whole thing, right? This is the focus of of the, the parable. This one guy was given a grand, and what did he do? What did he do? I mean, in reality, we could say he go dug a hole and he put it in there, but, in rea- but, but what he did was he did nothing. That's what he did. He did nothing. 
Verse 18, he says, But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground, and he hid his master's money. He was cautious. He was conservative. That's putting it in like a positive way, even though it wasn't, right? What he, what he did is he, he played it safe. He just, he just, I don't know, there's so many excuses you come up with, right? It wasn't my money. But he come up, he, he had his list of excuses ready. And what is it that was the master's reaction? In verse 26, and his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I had reaped where I had not sown and gathered where I had not scattered seed. In other words, his master was like, he was ticked off. I mean, he was more than upset. He wasn't, don't say it's disappointment because it was so far beyond disappointment, right? I mean, he is letting this guy have it verbally, and he is letting him have it physically by throwing him out where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. He is so unhappy. There was no excuse that was going to override what he did, which was nothing. And you're like, why so overreacting? You know, the Bible and Jesus here, he makes us, he lets us know that God expects trying, like to really try. He doesn't expect perfection, right? He expects participation. He, he, he is against passivity, inactivity. That's, that kind of stuff is not okay with God. Faith is, we, we call it a, a, an action word, right? It, it's, it is meant to be action-oriented. And that's why it tells us in Hebrews 11, it says, without faith it is impossible to what? To please God. You can't please God without faith. And faith is moving. It is putting your belief in, you know, to have feet into action of some sort. Doing nothing is inexcusable to Jesus, according to Jesus. Jesus is coming back. I don't know when. I don't know. He wants us to think that it's today. That it could happen tomorrow. That this is our last year on this earth. That's the kind of process that he wants us to realize because it is going to happen. And none of us know when it's going to happen. And maybe he comes back this year. Maybe he comes back here in this short time. I don't know. Or maybe you just go away. I just heard some devastating news uh, just before about somebody, and I'm not going to bring it up right now, but the point is, is that we are not guaranteed anything besides the moment you have right now and what you use with this moment. And for us to think that that audit is 50 years to come is silly for us to think that. Jesus is coming back and there is no excuse for not participating. There is going to be an audit of our lives. How did you use the life that he gave you? You know what Jesus hates 
it appears that he hates, like one of the most, at least in this parable, is he hates fear. Now he has called us, and all the way through the Bible, I know somebody, I can't remember exactly, but fear not, it's like 365 uh, times in the Bible, right? Uh, One for every day. But he commands us not to fear anything except who? Him. That's it. And that fear is more out of a reverence and respect, uh, realizing that we have a, a heavenly father that loves us and is good to us and that we, but, but that he will bring the hammer down if we, you know, don't do what he has told us to do, obviously. But that he loves us. That's the only kind of fear that he, but he seems to hate all other kind of fear. Why? Because all other kind of fear drives you away from him. It drives you away from participating. It, it, it causes you to take your talents and go bury them in the ground and set on them. And I read this week that, you know, this is Satan's favorite tactic is to use fear. It's everybody's favorite tactic. You know, it's the Republicans during election time. It's the Democrats during election time. It's it was the Republicans for four years to drive fear in you. Now it's the Democrats' turn for four years to drive fear in you. Everybody uses this tactic. Why? Because it moves you or it, or it paralyzes you. Either way, it's used for their favor and to get you to do what they want. Satan loves to use fear. That's why God says, do not fear. Because God wants you moving not paralyzed. And Satan will use it to move you either the wrong direction away from God or to just get you to stop moving altogether. But here's the three ways that Satan uses fear in your life. He, it is through the fear, you know, self-doubt, self-pity, and self-consciousness. Self-doubt is that, that it's the person who has these talents, right, that God has given them and, and they just, they start doubting themselves. They start saying, well, I can never do that. I'm not qualified to do that. Mike, I, I can't do what such and such is doing. You're expecting me to be involved. I can't do it. What is it that, that the guy who hid the talent, what was his, his line that he used? He says, I was afraid and went out and hid your talent. I was afraid. You, you reap what is you did not sow, meaning that you're expecting everybody else to do this, this work, and I was just afraid of you. Here's another one, and that's self-pity. That's, that's the one who says, well, I tried it, and it didn't work. The, the second, actually, the, I, I had a ministry in Rolla for one year. Short-lived, I, I left uh, just because of some doctrine things, and I was young and all of this, and Lori was pregnant with Carrie, and we wanted to move back this way. So I went to Fredonia, to Buxton. I had a, I had a, a great three years there, loved it, loved the people, but I had a situation where I was canned on the moment, like there was no notice whatsoever. I came home from vacation. They had a meeting. 
you're gone starting now. If you can imagine, I was just like, I was so devastated, but what I was most devastated, so I was just like, why, why is this happening? And it was just because of a conflict that me and the preacher had at the time. And what terrified me is that people were going to think like I did something morally wrong or something. How do you ever let somebody go without any kind of notif- notifying or whatsoever? And everybody that was involved in that, probably 99% of the people, you know, would admit that that was crazy. We did that so wrong. But I was so devastated, I was tempted to just get out of ministry. Like, this is the craziest thing I've ever experienced. I don't want to experience this ever again. I could have easily just took the, I've done, I tried that, done that. No, it's not for me. And we would call that self-pity, right? And that's why a lot of people, Satan uses this against people all the time. We try something in ministry. We try something in the church. It didn't go like we wanted. Maybe enough people didn't show up. I only had two or three, you know, or whatever. And we're just saying, that's not for me. I can't do it. And we get into this little self-pity thing, and we're just done with ministry. We're done participating. Now we're taking our talents, and we're hiding them in the ground. We're just sitting on them. So we can, we can have self-doubts. I can never do that. I'm not qualified. We could have self-pity. I've done that, and it didn't turn out well. Or we could have self-consciousness, and you know what that is. What will people think? And we are constantly worried about what people think when it comes to ministry. We excuse ourselves all the time. Because we just think, well, people could do it better than me. So they need to do it. I, I don't want to do it. You know, my, I was brought up that if, if a job is worth doing, it's worth doing right. And there's people that just do it right better than I do it. I love Rick Warren's approach on that. He says that's the stupidest thing, argument ever to bring into the church. It's, it's one he hates more than any. He says it should be If a job is worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. That's his motto. And you know that that's the motto of Jesus. Because if he expected perfection from us, he would have come and, well, he'd come and did do some of it on his own. But he would not have entrusted the ministry of reconciliation that is talked about in 1 Corinthians to you and me. And this is not about perfection this is about because what does he say to the guy he says you should have at least invested in the bankers he wasn't expecting a hundred percent good for them that did a hundred percent and you know return he just expected something and the least something in that day that you could have done is entrusted it to the bankers and maybe brought back about three percent or whatever but it would have been something right that's what he's getting on to him it was nothing And fear causes us to have to make excuses. And we see that going on in our world all the time. And so often I see people in the church criticizing the people in the world that are making these excuses, right? Government's problem. My skin is color is a problem. Where I grew up is the problem. You know, I was in the wrong country is the problem. And every excuse under the sun 
And we criticize that, but where it should not ever happen is within the church. There's no excuse for not participating in the kingdom of God, according to Jesus, not according to Mike. Here's the last thing. Jesus makes it clear what our returns on our investment will be. He makes it clear. He doesn't want... This is the thing. It's like Jesus has insight that those investors we talked about at the beginning of the, the sermon, they don't. It's, it's uncertainty. They're just going by the best that they can, you know, by all the years of study and knowledge and stuff, they're just putting out this, I think this is what I would do, and this is, I think, I think it would turn out okay, right? But Jesus talks like, this is, this is going to be how it is, and this is how it's going to turn out. Like there's this certainty in his voice. And Jesus makes it clear, not like I think this is how I'm going to handle it. He makes it clear that this is how God will handle this. And there's two ways that this is going to turn out. To the one who didn't invest in his kingdom, that just takes his talents and he just sets on them. Maybe uses them outside, you know, the church and he uses them for, you know, to make possessions and to, you know, boost up his career. He'll go back to school. He'll put in these efforts and all of these things. But when it comes to his kingdom, they're just buried. He says the one who does that refuses to participate. He will lose all that he has. It'll just be given to somebody else. And, of course, this comes at the audit. It doesn't come now necessarily, but don't think that it doesn't, he doesn't participate even while we are here walking now. But the master says, take that talent from him, give it to the one who has ten talents. And we can say that that, that, that just doesn't seem fair. With what I had, it's kind of interesting, too, that it's the one who has the least talents is the one who struggles the most. And I don't know if there's something to that. Maybe when you have fewer, maybe you make more excuses. I don't know. But nothing seems to be fair when you're on the losing side of anything, does it? When, when, when life seems to be giving you all the knocks and and you seem to be on the losing side, does anything seem to be fair? I remember when we were kids, like whenever somebody was winning, right? Well, that's not fair. Do you remember that? Do you remember saying that? But let me just remind you, we all are given the power to choose. That's what this is all about too, right? He's given us this this parable that we're supposed to apply to real life, and he's one of the things we should take out of this is that every one of these people had the same power to choose what they were going to do, what was entrusted to them. Nobody was forcing anything. And God is not forcing anything on your side. He's just entrusted talents to you, but you are the one who decides how and why and when and where you're going to use those. So, when it all comes to the audit time, if you're on the losing side, whose fault is it? Isn't this like the grown-up conversation you have to your children? 
you're the one that made the stupid mistake. Whose fault is it? You're blaming me, but whose fault really is it? And the reality is it's, it would be all our fault. Here's the second thing about that, and as the one who did invest in the kingdom, you will be rewarded. And he, he uses one that gets 5,000 and one that gets 2,000 because it's not the amount that matters. It's just what you did with what you were given. And it's a test, right? Isn't life a test? Abraham, when it was talking in the Old Testament about, it, it, it constantly was saying God tested Abraham. Now, now we know from James that God doesn't tempt anyone. He can't be tempted. He doesn't tempt. But don't think he doesn't test us. And it's different. But he put Abraham to the test often. And he puts you to the test often. Tests were always meant to create growth out of those. To build faith out of those. And the master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant, to both who invested, right? You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now there's so much that can be said about this subject. It would be so easy for me just to keep going, but we are out of time, so here's what I'm going to do. Let me just ask you this question, and I'm going to answer it for you. Is your cow more grateful than you? You're like, I don't have a cow. I know. Most of you don't. One, one year, when Christmas Day fell on a Sunday, a farmer decided to go to church. And he doesn't, he's not a regular churchgoer. He just kind of comes in, you know, like on Christmas, on Easter, Thanksgiving, Mother's Day when Mother was alive, you know, just those, same, those kinds of things. He would come a handful of times during the year. The sermon that day on that particular Christmas day was preached with the text from Isaiah 1-3 that said this, The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his mother's and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doeth not know, my people doeth not consider. Now what Isaiah is saying is that a man is dumber than an animal. I mean, an animal at least knows his master. But man runs around like he doesn't have a clue who his master is, is what Isaiah is saying. After church, the farmer returned home and stood among his cows, and one of them began to lick his hand. And all of a sudden, it just seemed to like make sense to him. That practical demonstration of the sermon, it just flooded his thoughts. That It just hit him like a, a ton of bricks. A st strong man, though he was, the farmer began to just weep there with the cow. And he thought to himself, God did so much for me. He's given me everything that I have. And yet I never thank him. My cow is far more grateful than I am. What do I ever give her other than just grass and water and she treats me better than I treated God? You know, Jesus invested everything in the church, which is you, right? 
And that's why we are about to come. Greg's going to come up and lead us in this. But that's why we come to this table. And we conclude it here. Because Jesus gave everything. He invested his entire being. All the talents that he had, he gave them. So that we could be here. So that we could have everything we have from God. And he's asked us to be like, be like him, to be his disciples, to follow him into this investing into the eternal, invest into the kingdom that is. You see, when Jesus was here, he was invested into the future, right? And that's what he's asked us to do too. And I just want to ask you, during this sermon, is it, causing you to work on you, you crafting your letter of excuses when the audit comes? Like the one who hid his talent and just coming up with reasons? Or is it causing you to craft your letter of gratitude for that day of audit? Thank you for welcoming in Thank you so much for calling me good and faithful. You see, the church is a place to invest your life for the future, like Jesus did. Let's pray. Father God, we uh, thank you so much for just the opportunity. And I know, Father, that the majority of the people that are here, probably like most of us, are people that have been investing and trying and doing not that we shouldn't renew our commitment and step it up a notch but we are trying to invest our lives to please you and for your kingdom and for what is coming maybe there's somebody here father that needs to just join the gang join the team and i just pray father that you would just Use your word and your spirit to encourage that. Father, we're not building our kingdom. We're building upon something you established when Jesus Christ died on the cross and was risen again. Help us just continue to be participants in this. Help us to realize that there's such purpose in what we do here as a church. It is a, an amazing place to invest our talents and to invest in your kingdom, just as Jesus did himself. In Jesus' name, amen.